0: Cosmos Science, news, magazine, podcasts, video, and features.
1: I'm Petra Stock, coffee lover, and I'm in Melbourne's Inner North, caffeine heartland. What coffees do you reckon you would make a day here?
2: It's pretty seasonal. Peak semester will get up to about a thousand a day. Probably average about 800 during semester, but then, yeah, it kind of peters off at the moment probably like three to four hundred. Four hundred probably, yeah.
1: I live in Melbourne, the coffee capital of Australia. Well according to Melburnians anyway. Baristas in this city serve hundreds of thousands of coffees every day. The coffee bean, roasted, ground and added to hot water for drinking, is native to the Horn of Africa. It made its way through the Middle East and Turkey to Europe and the rest of the world through the 15th and 16th centuries. Since that time, coffee has become a major part of modern society and is a central feature of our everyday Why do you reckon most people like coffee?
2: I think it's just a ritual thing. It's like, because you see a lot of people who don't even drink coffee who just come in for a hot chocolate or a chai or something. And I, well, even like, you know, I think it's just structure of your day. And I think in Australia, especially, it's social. It's like mostly a social thing.
1: This is Debunk's. In this series, we're looking at our vices. Those bad or questionable habits and behaviours that we just can't seem to give up. Coffee. Sugar, alcohol, so many temptations, so little time. First up, we're going to be taking a big sip of coffee to find out once and for all if caffeine is good or bad for you. About three quarters of Australians drink at least one cup of coffee every day. I usually have at least two, sometimes three, but it's far from the only caffeinated drink. Cola, tea... All of these drinks act on the brain to keep you awake or alert. But we can never seem to get a straight answer as to whether these beverages are actually doing any harm to our health.
0: What's the science? The main message is just that having that moderation and you don't have to be scared of coffee or any kind of food in particular. It's just, you know, sometimes choosing how much and how often you drink or eat it. That's Kitty Pham at the University of South Australia, who is doing her PhD in nutritional and genetic epidemiology. So essentially, caffeine is a central nervous system stimulant. So basically what that means is it's a substance that actually tends to speed up the processes in your brain and your nervous system. So the caffeine molecule itself, it's very similar to something we have in the brain called adenosine, and it can actually go into the brain and then block those adenosine receptors and that's how we see those effects on our body. So things like our cognition, our sleep, our motor activity or heart rate, that's the effect that you're seeing there. Personally,
1: I do drink a fair bit of coffee.
0: It doesn't really affect me, although I do
1: remember distinctly the first time I had a coffee at 5pm at age 14. It kept me up all night. (sighs) But now coffee doesn't affect me like it used to. I can have one after dinner with no ill effects.
0: Is that something that can be explained? I think our body tends to adjust to a new level of consumption. So when we drink more and more, the body can produce more of those adenosine receptors. So you kind of need more caffeine to block them and have those same effects. So people tend to scale up their consumption and it becomes a habit. Your body does develop a tolerance to the caffeine. So you start to need to drink more and more to kind of feel the same effect as before so what you used to achieve with one cup you might now have to drink you know two or three to get there and feel the same kind of alertness or not feel sleepy
2: so a single dose of coffee well let's say it's approximately 100 milligrams obviously it's dependent on how where you purchased it from so many factors thanks dr crystal yates for joining us also
1: from the University of South Australia.
2: But let's just say it's about 100 milligrams of caffeine. That can have an effect on an adult. The average adult, about 70 kilos, it'll increase their sleep latency. So that's the amount of time that it takes to fall asleep. It can also have an impact on reducing sleep duration when it's taken close to bedtime. This will all be in dose dependence. So the more you have, the more impact it can have. Uh, as with anything with caffeine, it's also dependent on how much their usual habitual intake is. So a chronic high consumer of caffeine will not be as affected as a person who is just having caffeine for the first time.
1: Dr. Yates specialises in sleep loss and the effects of caffeine on the circadian rhythm. In the hustle and bustle of the modern world, you find people are drinking more and more coffees, teas and energy drinks. Kids seem to be buying particular highly caffeinated brands online and all these things have heaps and heaps of caffeine in them. Kitty, do you think some
0: are better than others? Are some worse? Yeah, there's certainly a difference between the different sorts of caffeine. My research in particular is on coffee. So I can speak to that quite a bit. But there are some research that says tea might be better for you. It might be good for some things. Each source will have its own benefits and risks. So you can kind of weigh that up when you're choosing what you want to drink. Dr. Yates, are there any dangers that come with drinking coffee for a
1: long period of time?
2: It's not necessarily the use of caffeine over a long period of time. It's the amount of caffeine that you have each day over a long period of time. If you stick within the three maximum coffees per day, you're usually okay. It's when you start going above 400 milligrams of caffeine per day over longer periods of time, that's when you see these negative consequences. More after this. Welcome back.
1: So there are some hard numbers on how much caffeine we should try to limit ourselves to. But how many milligrams are in my flat white? It's often not clear from packaging just how much caffeine is in the coffee or tea that you buy. We're sort of using coffee, caffeine interchangeably. Obviously, caffeine is the active ingredient in coffee, which gives you that alertness. But it's not the only drink. Other examples are cola, tea, energy drinks like Monster and V, a 355 milliliter can of Red Bull, has more than 110 milligrams of caffeine in it. Even some foods contain caffeine. An average bar of dark chocolate has about 70 milligrams of caffeine in it. That's almost as much as a shot of coffee. On average, instant coffee with one teaspoon of powder contains about 70 milligrams of caffeine, while a brand named Coffee Pod has somewhere between 60 and 90 milligrams. In theory, that means a few of either of these types isn't likely to cause health problems. Is this something that the experts generally
0: agree on? Kitty, how much caffeine is too much? You know, looking at the US, they usually recommend less than 400 milligrams. So overall, just moderation in your consumption, kind of sticking to that conservative, you know, one to two cups. That's what I'd recommend. I mean, that's kind of a relief for
1: some. I would imagine, because sometimes it's painted as this sort of very black and white issue when it comes to food and drink. You should quit or drink more. Either you can or you can't have it, and coffee is no different. All of the time, it seems like a different study is coming out saying it's healthy, it's not healthy. I guess
0: with the moderation,
1: what kinds of things are we looking at when we think about the risks associated with caffeine?
0: Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, like you said, there is a lot of research out there and it'll tell you different things. It'll say, you know, it increases this risk and that risk and our own research, I guess, in some ways does contribute to that. We did find that at really high consumption levels, so greater than six cups per day, we did see an increase in dementia risk. But, you know, bearing in mind at that one to two cups per day, there wasn't an increase in risk. So still kind of Keeping in line with all the other research, it does show, you know, if you're being moderate, it's okay. But when you get to that really high consumption, there are potentially some risks. We found some on dementia. There's also some research on how it might increase your cholesterol. So there's a substance in there called cafestol, and that's a substance that can regulate your blood cholesterol. So if you're drinking too much coffee, it might be increasing your cholesterol. There are you know, some diseases that are associated with cholesterol, so things like you know, heart disease, high blood pressure. So if you know that you're already susceptible to those things or already have those diseases, it might be a good idea to you know, keep your consumption a bit lower. For
1: most of us, caffeine performs important functions, both socially and in our daily lives. If you're working a 9-to-5 job, have babies who don't sleep, or have other demands on your time, Your morning coffee, and maybe a couple of others throughout the day, might be the only thing standing between you and collapsing in a heap, or it might just be a pleasant habit you enjoy. This is compounded for people in society who have to work long hours or work night shifts when our body's clock tells us it should be asleep. Dr. Yates, is there a place for saying that caffeine and other caffeinated beverages have kind of a role in our society?
2: So a lot of my um, PhD, we were giving low doses of caffeine across the night shift to help aid in performance. And we were able to show that those low doses of caffeine were able to improve performance across a night. And we were also able to show, at least in regards to glucose metabolism, that that wasn't impacted by those low doses of caffeine. So you could see the improvement in performance without having the negative health Consequences, at least in that regard. Oh,
1: that's interesting. Can you explain the relationship with glucose?
2: Caffeine has been shown to increase insulin sensitivity and to increase the amount of circulating glucose in the body under some conditions, but that research around glucose, some have found, some haven't. The amount of caffeine changes so much between the different studies that it is still a limited area.
1: Are there any different health risks associated with those other caffeine-carrying drinks and foods?
2: Yep. So you just need to be careful and aware of the amount of caffeine that is included. So a standard cup of coffee has between 90 and maximum like 140 milligrams of caffeine. However, monster drink or something has far exceeding that amount. They also have other additives within them. You also need to be aware of things like when we were looking at the glucose responses to caffeine, the other parts of the beverage. So were you having just a black coffee or were you having a Starbucks drink that included a lot of added sugars that would impact glucose metabolism as well?
1: But maybe the coffee alternatives can also be helpful for anyone who is worried that they're having too much caffeine. I know if I don't have a coffee in the morning, I'm running the risk of having a headache later in the day. Those kinds of side effects mean it's a good idea to look at lowering the amount of coffee you drink rather than cutting it out entirely. A lot of people are moving away from coffee to things like tea or matcha. A 100 gram cup of black tea has only 20 milligrams of caffeine. Matcha has between about 40 and 170 milligrams of caffeine. But then these alternatives may also have some added health benefits, which makes them even more attractive as a coffee alternative.
2: So you want to do caffeine reduction across a number of weeks We've seen that you can do a six-week reduction where it's a gradual reduction without seeing the side effects such as headaches, migraines from reducing rapidly because what caffeine actually does within the brain, it restricts blood flow. You can actually use it to help reduce headaches in that same regard is it's lowering the blood flow stops a bit of the pain. But when you all of a sudden take caffeine away, if it was in high doses, you're opening up those blood vessels straight away and that can cause a lot of pain in itself as well. And so while it can be used to reduce headaches, it can actually incur uh, migraines if it happens too rapidly.
1: Coffee in particular has become a bedrock of modern society. As I sit here in this brightly lit Melbourne cafe, I'm certainly not the only local who loves this dark brew. And it's a habit that's clearly spread around Australia. The country has nearly 27,000 cafes and coffee shop businesses. That's an increase of more than 5% since 2022. But the love of caffeine is pretty much universal. Coffee has spread around the globe and tea is the drink of choice in India and China. Is it bad for you? isn't too much of anything. But now, just sit back and enjoy your coffee. This episode was part one of our series on vices. In the next episode, we're talking vaping. How will this new craze affect the health of a generation? Debunks is a podcast made in the Cosmos newsroom. This episode was produced by Evram Yazgan, edited by Andrew Wyrill, and hosted by me, Petra Stock. The Royal Institution of Australia is on Garnerland in South Australia. If you want more science, check out our website at cosmosmagazine.com.